Quest Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. So we started our Christmas series last week, Advent series, a week earlier, and I promised last week it would be a Christmas light, and this week it's going to be Christmas light. We're going to start in the full dose Christmas next week. But as we started last week, our series is just simply this, uh, when his story becomes our story. And my real hope for all of us here is that the joy of his story at this Christmas season really becomes our joy because it becomes part of our life. So the way we started that last week was we started talking about the single greatest gift. And really the reality is that all of us, I think, if we, who, who are followers of Christ, would look back on that time of deciding to follow Christ and we would say that that's the single greatest gift we've had in life. The sense of forgiveness, the sense of freedom from shame, the, the things He's done in our lives since to free us from destructive patterns that we've been in, the patience, the kindness that He's shown us through all that in pursuing us uh, with such amazing love. And as part of our action step for last week, we talked about the fact that really if we're going to bring that single greatest gift to other people this holiday season, a lot of times it just starts very simply by walking across the room. And so we did a, a response last week where we decorated our first tree and if you were up here and saw closer, you would notice that all these uh, have names on them. And uh, these are people that we are praying for, that we will have interaction with over the holidays or over the next month on a regular basis that we have decided we want to walk across the room to and somehow see if God would use us, at least start them more fully on the journey to receiving the single greatest gift, Him and that freedom, or maybe bring Him all the way there. And... Uh, so would you join me together right now as we pray uh, for these names? And if you did not, if you were not here last week and you didn't have a chance, or if even between last week and now you've come up with a name that you didn't put up here, we're going to leave the ornaments and the markers here. You can add a name to the tree anytime throughout the holiday season, okay? So let's pray. Lord, we, gra- we are grateful for your presence with us. We're grateful for the gift you've given us. We're grateful for all these names on the tree, for Kevin, for Jason, for Jeff, for... David and for so many others that we know these are flesh and blood people to each one of us and we love them and Lord we ask that you would use us somehow work through us somehow this Christmas to uh, help them get to know you better and how passionately you love them how much you're pursuing them that they would uh, be captured with a desire to seek you and pursue you in Jesus name Amen So we talked last week about the fact that it's easy for all of us to get caught in our comfort zones, right? And that it really takes us uh, some intentional effort for us to walk across the room and even begin to approach a conversation with somebody about faith, right? And we asked actually this last week that you not even worry about conversations. We just wanted you to pray. And we wanted you to pray with an open mind as you uh, were interacting with people to say, God, what do you want to show me about where you're already at work in their life? and what you're doing in their life. Today we're going to take a look at three things. We're going to take a look at a barrier that prevents us from getting out of the gate, even in making that walk across the room to people, uh, because it may have already started to undermine some of us, even in our attempts to do that. And then we're going to look at how do we initiate, once we've made that walk across the room, how do we initiate a conversation of faith with someone in a way that really is, I don't want to use the word effective, I want to, I want to, I want to use a word that says, consistent with me being a really good friend to them. And what do we do once that conversation becomes active? Now, that's a lot 
We're going to look at that through uh, something we call the living 3D framework. It's just 3Ds, okay? Uh, the first point is simple. It's this, develop friendships. Now, I know that's really simple and, and maybe obvious and stuff, but, but hang with me for a minute because there's a big barrier that we're going to talk about in here that really stops a lot of us before we even get started. As we learn to make the joy of Jesus' story, the fact that He came and pursued us with love even when we weren't pursuing Him, when we want to make that joy our story by bringing that gift to other people, we need to have a habit of regularly looking for and developing new friendships. And you see, when we see this habit in life, either today or in the Bible, we see it like in the early church we talked about last week, we see this habit being lived out and the Holy Spirit being present in people's lives and the, the, the church is being added to their number daily, it says, those who are being saved. And, and remember, daily, those who are being saved, it means in our community that people who are hiding behind the facades of their nice houses and their nice cars and their recreation, the pain of their life and not willing to be open because they need to be looked at a certain way, It means saving them from that loneliness and that pain. It means those who have been haunted by abuse in their past of of walking with them as they learn to accept the the trust and uh, learn to trust God and accept the the peace that, that can be a part of their life even though they've been abused in the past. And when we walk with Christ in this way, we get to, if we listen closely, hear this amazing, thunderously rejoicing applause that far surpasses anything that happened yesterday when Michigan, beat, when Michigan went home, right? This is what God wants us to experience. But things don't always pan out that way, do they? And it's because we get stuck. And let me just illustrate it this way. I'm going to illustrate it using a, using a simple math illustration. And for those of you who, like me, grew up uh, thinking you were really bad at math and hated math, this is going to be easy. I was so afraid of it in college, I took this course to get my requirement out of the way called Math and Society. It was the stupidest course I ever took in my whole life. I wish I would have taken something harder, but I was too afraid of math. So you can hang with me and trust me. We're going to talk about the difference between direct and indirect relationships. Let's talk about a guy named Jake. And let's talk about it this way. Let's say that Jake grows 10% this year. A direct relationship would mean that he would also increase in weight 10% this year. Now, that's a direct relationship. An indirect relationship would be Jake growing by 10%, but at the same time, his weight decreases. Now, we're done with math, so anybody who's getting the Benadryl out to ward off the hives, you can put it away. When we see that in a relationship, what do we think? My son grew six inches approximately in the last six to nine months. If I saw him growing six inches and I saw him decreasing in weight, what would I be doing? I'd be taking him to the doctor, right? Because that's not healthy. Let's switch this over to our faith and talk about it in our faith, and it gets really interesting. So we've got Jane, and Jane has somebody walk across the room to her, and she discovers Christ, and she discovers freedom from shame, freedom from having to hide, freedom from uh, bad identity that was imposed upon her by abuse or by people and people teasing her or whatever in the past. She just experiences such amazing freedom and blessing in Christ. And her walk with Christ begins to grow greatly, right? And she just, 
She just, in, in, in combination with her walk growing with Christ and seeing how God pursued her, even when she wasn't looking for Him, even when she was rebelling against Him and how much He loved her and how much His kindness still pursued her even in that, she has this corresponding desire to bring that same kind of love to others. And so she's going to her friends and going, I've had this mind-blowing experience of realizing who God is. And it's radically changed my life. And I want you to experience this. Why don't you check it out and see if He makes Himself real to you? And people start coming to faith around Jane. One by one, her friends seek and they find a God who's real, who really is loving them, and they're experiencing the exact same thing. But here's where the shift happens for almost all of us in life. Over time... Jane no longer has any friends who are unconvinced. And her comfort zone has best just been defined by those friends. She's continuing to grow. She's in small group relationships with these, and she's in another relationship serving with this one, and she's down here in a relationship and an accountability relationship, and she's learning the Bible, and she's, she's still growing in Christ. She's still finding more freedom from the things that have set her back in life, and, and she's discovering how God loves her. She's discovering how God's made her so amazing and becoming even more focused in who she is, but at the same time, her compassion... And her activity in bringing that same kind of love to other people starts to decline. And we start to question in our lives, where's the passion in our faith? Where's the power of God in our faith? And it's because like we talked last week, when we get stuck in our comfort zone and we never leave that to walk across the room into an unknown situation with someone and you're not knowing whether they're ever going to accept Christ, whether they're even going to become a friend of ours or not, when we refuse to walk across to the unknown where it takes faith and where God's at work and where we experience God's power, we start to lose passion and we start blaming ourselves or blaming the church or blaming other things. And we don't know what's going on. And it's really just this. Our relationships have become unhealthy. But you see, the problem is we've got a Lego here. And all of our relationships are like Legos. Each one of us only has a certain number of slots that we can have friends. And once those slots are full, we can't make a walk across the room to make a befriend anybody new yet because we don't have room for them. We'll walk across and we'll only have capacity to be a high, how are you, stay at a distance type person and we can't bring anybody into friendship with us for them to even have time to come to know Christ. And this becomes a barrier for us. We want to follow Christ in obedience. We want to experience that same joy. Our hearts feel for the people around us who don't know Him. But unless we're intentional to change, unless we're intentional to make room on our Lego to build a relationship with someone, we'll never get it done. You know, I actually took a step I'm going to ask you to take in the next couple of weeks. You can take it this week if you want, but I'll ask specifically next week for you to take it coming up. I, I, uh, there's a couple that uh, we've really enjoyed getting to know just a little bit uh, in New Albany since we've been here. And, and uh, we have no idea where their faith is. They may be fully believers. They may not be. They've expressed some, at one point, a hint of mild interest in faith. But we just really enjoy them. 
We think they're a really neat couple, but I always say it this way. We've never had time to become friends. We've never had time because we've allowed our Lego to be so full. We don't have any room in our life to be, have a relationship. So I've taken the initiative to make a first step, and we're going to do something as dads and kids together next week just to try to start to intentionally make room to build a friendship. And that's the kind of stuff we're asking. What will you do? I mean, sometimes it requires a change in some of your relationships, a reprioritizing of your schedule. It requires intentionality to be able to do this. And unless we realize this dynamic and we're willing to address it honestly, we won't even get across the room before we're stuck in doing this. So that's what a direct and indirect variation looks at. But, you know, this is not just our struggle. It's the early church's struggle, too. In Acts 2, where it describes what I talked about before, this uh, amazingly thriving church, this amazing community that was just so generous and outstanding and it was growing every day, just a couple chapters later, if you read through Acts, you all of a sudden see this church beginning to struggle with the same dynamic. They've grown They've assimilated. They've got every people and they're start, and, and God actually brings persecution to scatter them, to break up their Legos, to make room for more people. You see later in the Bible, in, in Revelation, a few decades later, you see God saying the same thing to the early church. Basically saying, you're not living where God is, where I'm living. You've forgotten the kind of passion you initially had. You're living over here in your comfort zone, and I'm asking you to get out of that. And that's the reason you don't feel like my life is present among you, he's basically saying to the churches in Revelation. Because you're living like Legos, and we all live like Legos. Unless we are intentional, we'll never have room. And instead of seeing the joy of his story become our story, we will live life like most of the church and Christ followers live. We will live finding ourselves trying to live the Christian life and see people come to faith from a distance. Whether it's the distance of the pulpit to the pew, hoping that the preacher's preaching will draw the people and people will get saved that way. Or whether it's the distance of, of uh, advertising and we expect the church to be really creative in advertising to draw people to come in. And we always want to do things from a distance, whether maybe we want the programs, the lights, the shows, the dramas, the, the ministries. And we want all that stuff to be good, right? Or maybe we start living life trying to make a difference in people's lives by asserting our public opinions and the politics, hoping we can legislate a morality and a culture that will allow people to come back to faith and think right. But we live life trying to save people from a distance. And Jesus didn't live that way. Jesus spent three years with a few people primarily. And he's asking us to make room on our Legos to do the same thing. And that's what the early church did. Because those other distance things like the pulpit, like bringing people to church, like advertising, those are tools that are part of it. But but relationships are the mission. Relationships are the mission. And making room for relationships is the only way we can fulfill that mission. Now, many of us have full Legos. And I'm asking you to be intentional about emptying your Lego to make enough room for friendship. But the reality is that many of us don't need to start from scratch. We already have unconvinced people on our Lego of friendship. And all we need to learn to do is begin to take the conversation deeper, to make faith an open conversation. 
And how do we do that? How do we segue conversations with faith, to faith? Now, I've seen a lot of bad ways. Here are some of the bad ways I've seen. I've seen people walk up to people trying to segue a conversation to faith and say, how would you like a better life? And that communicates what? That their life is inferior, right? Or here's one that's really nice and direct and straight. Do you want to be saved? And half the people in America will say, I don't think I need to be saved. So we're not even talking their language. Or here's a more creative, artsy one. I would like to talk to you about how to fill the hole in your heart. That sounds like a do-it-yourself channel, how to do uh, heart surgery on yourself. I hope this tract will help you read the... Read the uh, let me read this tract here. Would you read this tract so that you can find your way to God? And, and the response is what? You think I'm that simplistic, that I'm that formulaic, that this is going to answer my life problems? Here's one I actually heard. Hey, dude, you're wearing a heavy metal shirt of a band sworn to Satanism. Do you realize you're going to hell? That was a segue to a faith conversation. Friendly and loving, isn't it? How many of you have started a friendship with an opener like any of those? Really, the next D in our 3D living is rather simple. That's the way all of us actually build our friendships. It's simply this, to discover stories. People who want to make the joy of Jesus' story, the joy of their story, develop friendships by discovering stories. And these stories aren't the the kind of sales thing you get taught in a lot of evangelism courses about how to qualify, or sales courses, how to qualify them and get them set up so you know where they're at or try to find the place you can sell them or find the chink in the armor. It's none of that. This is just... Being a curious friend. How many of you love being around a curious friend who just asks you questions? Who just pays attention to you and finds out your story and values your story? I mean, that's what we're talking about. John 4, we see Jesus Jesus with this woman at the well and we see Him doing it there. We often think that preachers only preach and talk and sell people, right? But Jesus spent a lot of time asking questions and listening. The woman at the well, He He introduces himself and he talks with her and and he tells her what he's already observed about who she is and and then he listens to her tell her tell her him her story and and it leads to a whole town wanting to come and follow him we see Jesus with Zacchaeus and walking and saying, can I come to eat with you? And, and here's how those conversations go. I have these conversations a lot, especially as a pastor. You walk with someone and you, you want to have a relationship with them and they, they're feeling guilty. Zacchaeus is feeling guilty because of all the wrong stuff he does. And the minute there's a respected Christian person around him or somebody the community respects as a Christian person, even if they don't, they immediately start talking about all the areas where they've sinned and feel guilty and they want to just dump everything. And that, Have you ever had that kind of a conversation when somebody's found out you're a Christian? And they just start dumping on you. That's the way that conversation probably wants to think about it. Jesus goes to lunch with Zacchaeus and what? Listens to his story. But still goes to lunch with him and treats him with respect and kindness. And it was the kindness that led Zacchaeus to the point that he could respond to the story of God's acceptance. Because the person of Jesus living that out. We see it with Paul in Athens. If you read in Acts, Paul in Athens spends a lot of time going around and listening to the people to hear the story of not just one person, but the story of the people of the culture and valuing them. And then he speaks to them of their story. You see, it's easy to think we need to tell people 
the gospel, but the gospel starts with friendship. It starts with listening to their story. I learned this best from a a good friend of mine named Mike. And I've talked a little bit about him in the past, so some of you may have heard a little bit of this. But I saw Mike over and over again build bridges of conversation to topics of faith with people that that were so different and so antagonistic to what I thought he was going to even try to do. But his relationships rarely started with a conversation of faith. He was just a curious person who loved to get to know people. I remember one of the places he was ministering, he had spent about a year trying to just ask questions and serve and just build friendships. And that's all he was doing. Hadn't even tried to approach anybody with the gospel. And this guy finally comes up to him in the neighborhood and says, man, Mike, you've been such a great listener. I don't have anybody else to tell this to, but my marriage is in trouble. I'm really struggling in my marriage. She's really mad at me and I don't know what to do. And they just started getting together for coffee once a week, trying to encourage each other to be good husbands. And eventually, faith became a part of the conversation. And the guy became came to faith. His wife came to faith. Half the neighborhood came to faith. It's an amazing story of just listening. I remember one other time, uh, there was a guy named Chris who's just a fantastic guy. He's an EMT guy, or used to be an EMT. I don't know what he does now. It's been a few years since I've been around him. And, and Mike spent a lot of time. They had a lot of common interests. They both loved the outdoors, loved rock climbing, and spent a lot of time together just talking, knowing, finding out about everything, laughing, having fun. So one day they're doing one of the hardest climbs they've done, and this guy is being belayed by Mike up on the cliff, and he's about to make this leap for one of the hardest jumps of the whole cliff, knowing he's probably going to fall. And Mike goes, hey, what do you think, Chris, about faith? Now, maybe that's not the best idea in a lot of circumstances, but they had such a great relationship. Chris thought it was absolutely hilarious that you would ask him about faith right before he was about to die. And they went on to have a great conversation. Faith became a regular part of the friendship. We talk about friends with faith. And Chris is a follower of Christ today and many others as well who are in Chris's friendship. You know, it's amazing what you find out when you listen to people's stories and how it opens them up to even hear your story. There's a friend named Mark Stoner who used to go around saying, I'm a stoner. He was a really funny guy. He was, he was a guy that uh, we spent a lot of time with. He was uh, my, His son and my son played soccer together, and we used to help uh, with the team and help coach the team. With the, We weren't the coaches, but we helped the coach. And just spent a lot of time together for three, four years. And, and Stoner was one of these guys who was a scientific guy, and he was a drug dealer, the legitimate kind. He sold diabetes drugs. And, uh, and uh, you know, he just wasn't antagonistic towards the faith. He just wasn't interested, you know. So for three years, we're having fun together, trying to be great dads together, and uh, just asking questions about life. And you know, every now and then I'd ask a question about why he believed what he believed and how he came to those conclusions, and did he ever have any church experience, and what was that like, and did he, and how, what, what, you know, what the circumstance? Just asking questions, and not a whole lot of response. Today, I don't know if Mark is a follower of Christ yet, but the conversation became, the relationship became one where faith was a part of the friendship. And that's really the point. You know, for me, I'm a work in progress. I'm not a natural people person. Most of my life, the way I've made friends is is one or two people who are really people people make friends with me and I make friends of all their friends eventually. 
by just tagging along. That's the way I've usually made friends. I was, I was always fairly awkward in an initiating relationship with new people, just not the greatest of conversation. And I married somebody who's absolutely amazing, so it makes me feel really bad most days. I even, at one time, at one point, Wendy just said, just helping me grow and helped me work on it years ago. He gave me a book by Barbara Walters. It's actually a really great book on how to have a conversation with anybody. I can't remember. That might even be the title. I can't remember the title. It's been so long ago. But, you know, she said basically in this book, her whole premise of the book of making a relationship with anybody was primarily about being curious, about asking questions, about learning the story of the other person and drawing them out and making them feel valued for who they were. Church evangelism taught us primarily to share the story. It was primarily centered on what we could say. And there is a time that we will be asked and that we need to share our story. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how to do that. We're going to talk about how to do it in a way that makes it accessible for every single one of us in the room. And in the process, we might step on a few toes if you've been around church a long time because we're going to probably say a few ways you were taught were wrong. But... Imposing the story instead of helping people open up and tell theirs, when we impose the story, it tends to make people fearful. It tends to make people expect to be judged, expect to be put down, which is what they expect of the church. And in their sin, their guilt that they feel in life, they expect God to treat them that way too. Yet John 3 the verse right after the most famous verse probably in the Bible, which I think this verse should be the most famous verse, says this. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. If friendship starts in valuing people and loving people regardless of where they're at in life, then evangelism starts there as well. If the good news of Jesus is not based in condemnation and correcting people, but in the kindness toward those who are already condemned and offering relationship to them, isn't that where we should start as well in simply the building of friendship, which for all of us starts in discovering people's stories? I want you to take a moment and think about the people you put on the cross over here, or on the cross, on the uh, tree over here on your ornaments that you're praying for. And if you didn't put somebody up there, maybe somebody's already come to mind. I want you to think about the people who you want to pray for and walk across the room to. What areas of their life, where could you compassionately and respectfully be curious about their story this week as you see them? What are some of the things that you don't know about their story Maybe take a moment. I'll give you about 15, 20 seconds here. Maybe take a moment if you've got a pen and on the paper you've got, write down a couple areas that come to mind right off the top of your head that I don't really know this about them. I haven't really asked this question about them. Maybe it's, not, maybe it's about faith. Maybe it's the fact that you know that they're struggling with a kid at home or they're struggling in their marriage or they're struggling somewhere else in life, or they got difficulty in a family, and you've never bothered to ask the question to see if they even want to open up and share that and allow you to care for them and support. Maybe it starts there. Maybe it doesn't start with faith. What are those areas? I'll give you about 15 seconds. Whenever we start to hear people share their story, a lot of times, especially when faith comes up, it doesn't take long to hear the pain. 
It doesn't take long to hear the disappointment with God, whether it's pain or disappointment because God didn't heal or somebody died or how could I be left in an abusive situation or whether it's a a question of faith uh, that's bigger than that or different than that. And it's easy for us to react to those things and to try to correct misinterpretations or misperceptions of those things. I remember sitting at a soccer party one time at the end of the season. My wife and I were sitting there at a pizza place and waiting for them to hand out the season-ending trophies that all the kids get, even if you don't win anything, right? That's the way it is today. And, uh, and we were just having a conversation with this couple that we knew was unchurched. Uh, didn't have much of a faith in God at all. And, and at that point, it was still back in Eugene, and they didn't even really know exactly what I did because usually when people asked me what I did back then, I said I was a consultant, and usually eventually they'd find out I was a consultant to churches and a pastor, and then things would change. In this instance, they asked that, and they found out that a lot of what I did back then was to deal with conflict and resolve conflict in churches as an interventionist. And whenever that came up in conversations when I was on the West Coast, inevitably, because I was the one solving conflict, I would hear of all the conflict anybody ever had in their past with the church. Right? And you, you know as well as I know that half of that is probably real unhealthiness and probably on, on, on the part of the church, and probably half of it was unhealthiness on the part of the person and misunderstanding. We all know that, right? Because that's what life is a lot of times. So they just vented and they talked, and, and my wife and I spent time just responding and not agreeing, but affirming the pain they had and affirming the reality that that can indeed happen in life and just trying to care for them. When they first got done sharing it, before we ever even responded, you could see the, you could see the tension on their face emerge. They, they opened up, and you know that's kind of that open up, lay your load out, and then go back... <gasps> What are they going to do with it now? We all see it, right? And that's what happens in faith conversations when we start them. You can expect to see that because it's uncomfortable. Because people haven't settled their, their beliefs a lot of times. And it's hard for people to talk about things they haven't settled. It's uncomfortable. And they are constantly going to think you're going to judge them or correct them. And they're just waiting for the shoe to drop. It's so easy to correct, but we shouldn't so many times. There's another colleague of mine that I was working with that we were, he was producing a man on the street video for some training we were doing for helping people understand how people who were outside of church thought so different than people inside church. And uh, basically he went around and gathered up a bunch of earthy type, uh, ultra liberal environmentalists who were college students and said for the free cup of coffee, which they were poor, so free cup of coffee was a big enticement. Can I ask you some questions? So he asked them questions about what they thought about faith, how they arrived at their own beliefs, what they thought about church and Christianity. And there was one gal in, in his interview sample that if I would describe to you exactly who she was and, and what she believed and where she was positioned in life, every one of you in this room would have raised your hands and said, that person will never, ever consider Christianity. And yet at the end of the conversation, she looked at Hugh and said, you know, I've never had anybody ask me questions like this without trying to correct me, without trying to judge me, but just listen. And she said to Hugh, could I get together with you again and talk? Because I've got a lot of questions I've never been able to ask anybody. I've got a lot of story I've never been able to tell anybody. Two weeks later, she was asking 
about going to church and considering faith in Christ. Have you ever taken the risk to probe somebody's story and been shocked at how wide the doors have opened? Been absolutely floored that somebody would open up to you when you just listen to them and all of a sudden they're pouring out stuff because so few people really listen to the important things. We stay on the surface things. We don't drive our friendships deep to things like faith and pain and personal stuff. You know, when a person's pain is really their problem and not the church's, which it is a lot of times, we feel the need to correct and solve it. But the foundation of friendship with God and the foundation of friendship with others is not in seeing things correctly. Is it? It's in trust. It's not in seeing things correctly. Often our ways of evangelism have relied more on correct belief and correct, correct thinking and not on helping people trust. Think about it this way. When God came to you with the single greatest gift, He didn't come demanding that you change everything all at once, did He? He just wants you to trust Him so that you can be led by His Spirit, so that His Spirit can lead you into greater freedom and greater sense of identity and who, you've, who He's made you to be and how He's made you to live. It's first about trust. He wants you to trust Him enough to surrender your definition of your identity to Him, to let Him define your identity. He wants you to surrender your definition of what is right and wrong. He wants you to surrender how we have to live. He doesn't care if you think correctly right now. He just wants your heart. And when we don't initially correct people and instead we develop trust by valuing their story, we become representatives of God, teaching them who He really is. And that's where the next D of our living comes in. The next 3D is the discern next steps. People who, make it, who are making the joy of Jesus' story your story intentionally look to develop friendships so they can discover stories and then discern next appropriate steps. I mean, it's It's simple. Once we've risked walking across the room, this is the kind of question, what do we do? And the answer in some ways isn't as satisfying as you're going to like. The answer really is press in every single moment you're having that conversation and say, Holy Spirit, where are you? What are you doing? What do you want me to say? How do you want me to respond to this? Knowing that sometimes you're going to do it well, sometimes you're not. So there's a gal named Nancy, a wonderful retired lady that I knew for, still know, but we, since we don't live on the West Coast anymore, I don't have as much contact with her anymore, but I knew her really closely for about nine years. We served on the same homeowner association board together, went through a lot of difficulties, and, and that whole time I was on the homeowner association board, I was trying to figure out how to, how to open conversation to the point that it could be trusting with the people on the board. And it was a really interesting mix because we had some people who were uh, agnostic to the, so far agnostic that they probably were almost atheists. And we had then some others who were so diehard, new age spirituality, that uh, everything was a God everywhere around and everything inside you was a God. And then you had a bunch of people who were liberal universalists and it was just a really strange combination of people to try to get any kind of a faith conversation going. And, you know, every now and then things would come up and I actually got permission after two or three years to actually, I could pray for them. I couldn't pray for them in person. But if they, like, had a need, a couple of them would actually come and say, would you pray for me? 
and I could actually pray for him. And the conversation started to go that way. But with Nancy, it was very difficult. I'd try to bring up different questions, and sometimes I'd get a little bit of a response, but it was always kind of cold. And it was this is just one illustration. Even at Christmas time, I'd say to her, "Merry Christmas," and she would immediately respond with a, "Not Merry Christmas. It's Happy Holidays." I mean, it was just, you know, it was, so, I mean, sometimes you don't know what to do, and sometimes what you do raises barriers, right? But even then, I, I won't tell you the rest of the story. I've told part of it in the past, but even then, God orchestrated some other things that began to open that door a little bit with Nancy. But sometimes, what are those things we do next? Sometimes it's as simple as, you know, have you ever read the Bible? You're talking a lot about wanting to know who Jesus is. There's a lot of people who say, I know, I I believe in God. I'm just not sure about this Jesus guy. Well, at some point it becomes relevant for them to read the eyewitness accounts, right? So sometimes you just give them a Maybe that's the next step. But maybe they're not ready for that. Maybe the next step is what Mike did and coffee over marriage and coffee over parenting or coffee over whatever or coffee over golf, you know? Whatever the next step is. Maybe... Maybe sometimes when they talk about pain, it's, it's actually directing them to the Psalms where David's crying out his heart to God in anger and frustration and pain and letting them know that you don't have to fear a God in his judgment. You can yell at him and be angry with him and be honest with him and he still is going to love you and pursue you. Maybe that's the next step. I don't know what the next step is. They can be all sorts of different things. But we're not discovering stories to look for a chink in their armor. We're not trying to find the way to thrust the dagger in to convince them and close the deal and take away all their bad stuff. We're discovering stories to discover next steps to help them see who God has really made them to be. In my devotions this last week, I was reading Psalm 145. I want to share a little bit of that with you this, this morning. It says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all He has made. The Lord is faithful to all His promises and loving toward all He has made. The Lord upholds all those who fall, lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and loving toward all He has made. All, not just those who follow Him, See, I don't think most people view God that way. I don't think that's the way most people view the church or view Christ followers. And discovering people's stories is the first step, step, not only the first step in building a deeper friendship, but it's the first step to helping them in next steps see how God thinks towards them how God's already at work in kindness in showing him, showing them who He is in leading them to who He is. Think of the people you're praying for. What are some of the next steps you can encourage them in as part of their journey? Do they need to see how Jesus is real to more people? 
If so, then maybe the next step is organizing an introduction at a party to some more of your Christian friends so they get a chance to interact with more people who Christ has changed their lives in and they see the story and they see the realness of God in more than just one or two lives. Maybe that's the next step. Then they need to find answers to some of the difficult questions of the faith and maybe organize, maybe introducing them to a good book that will walk them through some of those and, and maybe even reading it with them would be the next step. They need to experience the acceptance and love of God right where they're at, even in the midst of all the full-blown dysfunction that's going on in their life so that they can experience kindness that leads them to repentance. Then, then you get to be that person if you'll open up enough room to stick them on your Lego so you can be the constant in their life that shows them that God is not running from them. God is not yelling at them in their problems, in their sin, in their dysfunction. He's there pursuing them, trying to be that constant love that will draw them to freedom. Are they really curious and interested in the faith, but they're still not sure? Then maybe the next step is inviting them to your small group. Maybe they just need a worship song that puts voice to what they're going through, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's frustrating, whether it's painful, whether it's grief, whatever it is. Maybe they just need a good worship song. Or maybe it's as simple as praying for them. What are some of the next steps? Just pray for a moment. I'll give you about another 15 seconds. I know that's not long. But just think about that and see if God gives you anything for the people that you're praying for. So don't worry if you're struggling to come up with things. Last week's text was when God brings us into unknown places, we can not worry about what we're going to say till we get there and His Holy Spirit will lead us. So don't worry about that. But if you are struggling a little bit, maybe one way to help you think of more creative ideas for how to do next steps would be to think back on your own journey. Who are the people in your life, whether it was bringing you to faith in Christ initially or some of the big leaps you've taken in faith and growth since then? Who were the people who walked with you to help you find next steps? In the wee little bins at the end of the aisles, which is our favorite Canadianism from Christine, we've got a bunch of thank you cards. And we want to invite you to take one this week and take some time thinking about the people who helped you discover next steps. And all of us know that a thank you card is more meaningful when it's specific, right? A real generic one doesn't mean a whole lot. Something that's really specific says, you did this for me, really means a lot. Maybe you take some time thinking about some of those next steps and you write a few of those very specific things that the influential people in your life did to help you grow in your faith. And you send them a thank you card this week. I want to close with this. In Mark 3, which we looked at many months ago now, There's a story of Jesus and this man with a withered hand. Uh, Jesus is preparing to teach in the temple. And the Pharisees have this idea to catch him in uh, an inappropriate action that will undermine him. And they can make all sorts of religious and legal accusations against him and try to make his following go away, which is they want to try to get him to heal this guy on the Sabbath, which apparently in their book that work was healing and, and healing on the Sabbath was bad back then. So they drag this guy into, this, into the auditorium there where Jesus is teaching. And then they back up. And Jesus sees all this. And Jesus becomes irate with them. He is so angry that they will put, uh, put above the radical love of God their rules 
And you can read the rest of the story this week if you want to in Mark 3. But basically, Jesus is this person who finds himself in this position where he can't not heal the guy. Because it's that kind of kindness that he came to bring. And here's where I want to leave us. We've all experienced that same kind of love from him when he's grabbed us with kindness. And the reality is, as we walk through the week this week, there are people with withered hands, withered hearts, withered minds, withered hope, withered dreams, withered finances, withered family relationships all around us. And Jesus is simply inviting us to discover their story because most of us hide our witheredness because we're ashamed of it. We don't want other people to see it. He's inviting us to discover those stories and to be His healing hand. You may not have the opportunity this week to do something that's as radical as going to a bunch of radical environmental college students and seeing somebody who's considered by many to be so far from Christianity open up. You may not have that experience. You may not have the opportunity to tell somebody on the side of a cliff right before they're about to die, what do you think about faith? You may not have the opportunity to see somebody healed of a withered physical hand, but you might. And that's the point of going out of our comfort zone into the unknown and seeing what God will do when we meet Him there. Would you just worship God and trust His Spirit to lead you this week and take the risk? Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at gotoquest.org.